Freddy Krueger is my favorite horror icon, and my wife Courtney swore she would never watch the movie. But when I got the chance to see Nightmare on Elm Street on the big screen, she got jealous and didn't want to miss out. Nightmare on Elm Street follows Nancy, a nice girl with an alcoholic mom living across the street from her boyfriend, an unknown actor at the time named Johnny Depp. Nancy is having nightmares and quickly finds that old wrinkle face finger knives is popping up in her friend's dreams too, and because the slasher attacks in their dreams, anything is possible. Arms can stretch, he can teleport, walk through jail cell walls, you get the idea. Well, Nancy has to figure out why this is happening and how to stop it before she and all of her friends get sliced to pieces by Freddy Krueger. The kills are fantastic, the set design and makeup are top quality 80s filmmaking, and there's plenty to laugh at as well. We went to the Alamo Draft House with a group for a private screening, and I have to say, Freddy is magic on the big screen. They cut together old publicity clips from the 80s to kick things off, and I kind of forgot how he was this massive cultural phenomenon. He was refereeing wrestling matches and was in commercials and guest spotting on late night evening news reports. Over the years, Freddy got cheesy and gimmicky, but this first film is honestly scary. I was so excited Courtney got to see it this way for her first time, so much so that we recorded an entire podcast episode about it, and that's what you're listening to today. Plus, we'll hear from you about what your real-life nightmares are about, but first, turn off the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall in to haunting season. Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. I'm joined tonight by Courtney, my wife, and clicking around from time to time, you might hear our pups, Crumpet or Cornelius. Hey, Courtney, I'm really excited to be doing this together. Yeah. 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 So today we're talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. And before we start working our way through the movie and some of the neat facts about it, I wanted to start back in the 80s and ask, when was the first time you heard about Freddy Krueger? The first time I heard about Freddy Krueger, I was probably eight, nine. Um, I am a true child of the 80s. I was born in 81. Yeah, I used to have nightmares about him, and I didn't even know anything about the movie. Oh, my gosh. So, wait, yeah. so what, how did you have nightmares about him if you didn't know about the movie? Well, because you would see imagery from it. You know, I mean, we had television. So I would see imagery of Freddy Krueger, and I wasn't allowed to watch that kind of stuff or see that kind of stuff. Um, But somehow, you know, school, stuff like that. I don't know. I just knew who Freddy Krueger was. Yeah, I I didn't realize until we went to the movie theater and they had all those, like, clips exactly how uh, ubiquitous his image was. He was on, he was, like, refereeing wrestling matches and showing up on the nightly news. Yeah, he was on the news all the time. He there was commercials, there was video rental commercials. He was, you know, there was cutouts of him at Blockbuster. Now, I get that now, you know, cuz of the culture that we live in, but back in the 80s that just seems kind of irresponsible. There there weren't movies like this. There weren't you, too many movies like this. You know, in the 70s you get Halloween, but like that stuff wasn't on TV. I, I mean, mean, I only had five channels, so maybe it's a cable network thing. I don't think you lived through the same 80s that I did because everything and everyone was irresponsible in the 80s. <laughs> I was left alone at like 
eight years old. No, I know. I know our parents were irresponsible, but didn't they have like restrictions on television? Like, I don't think so. I mean, if you were up late enough to watch stuff, which I was left alone a lot, so um, my mom would be very upset if she heard me telling (laughs) the world that. Um, But it was the eighties, and um, I also spent half the time with my dad. So you know, he just let us watch whatever we wanted. You weren't allowed to watch scary movies. No. So what was the first scary movie you saw? And when was that? The first scary movie I remember seeing, like vividly remember, was Scream. So I was in high school. Okay. That, um, that tracks. That was like the first time I really started watching. But I think I've, I mean, my dad took us to see, I think it was Predator in the, it was either Predator or Lethal Weapon, which I know are vastly different movies. <laughs> <laughs> but... There's just a scene that sticks out to me of, like, torture of some guy that looked like Mel Gibson. But it didn't necessarily have to be Mel Gibson. But I remember my uh, mom being extremely upset that I saw that movie and I had nightmares about it. Well, I'm, I'm curious to find out exactly which one it was because it sounds like it was Predator. I'd have to rewatch. Um, well, I don't think I could ever watch Predator, but I'd have to rewatch Lethal Weapon and tell you if it was that. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you based on that scene. I think whatever movie that was started my journey of being scared of everything and not wanting to see anything. Right. So if, if anybody here is like a super fan of the show and you've been with us since we um, started back up in October, you'll know from some of our live streams that Courtney is literally can find fear in anything. It's not that I can find fear in anything. I can find danger and the, the threat of death in everything. <laughs> so I get it in the... In the grand scheme of things, it's it's fear, but really I'm just a highly functioning, anxious human being who is scared of everything. Yeah, and I can attest to that as a, uh, a human who lives every single day with you. Um, <laughs> so why decide to watch Freddy Krueger now? Well, I suffer from massive FOMO. So when you started getting back into, well, I mean, you've always been into like ho- horror, which I don't agree with that definition, but when you started back into scary movies and stuff, it was well into our relationship, I think, because you were just so kind and you never tortured me with that. I started not wanting to be left out of a lot of this, like, part of your life. So when you said you were going to go see it in the theaters, I was like, okay, let's just see if it's streaming somewhere. Because I was terrified. Freddy Krueger was the first thing that ever truly scared me. And I remember distinctly being scared of his, like, razor claws and all of that stuff. I had nightmares about it, and I had never seen the movie. I just didn't want to be left. I don't like to be left out. So yeah. I think I was like, okay, let's see if I can handle it. And if you're, I'm just being silly. And I was. <laughs> so I watched the first 20 minutes, and I was like, I can see this in the theater. I can be brave. Yeah. So. And you made it out the other side. Barely. Barely. So I want to work our way through the movie from start to finish and hear what stood out to you and what you liked and didn't like. But first, uh, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Mixtape Massacre, the 1980s styled slasher killer board game. You can have up to six players, each one some sort of paranormal slasher monster type creature with a cool original story and great character design. You take turns roaming the town, racking up kills and collecting trophies like severed hands, teeth, and eyeballs, and try to come out either with the most kills or be the last surviving. It takes about 15 minutes to learn, about 90 minutes to play with six people, and you can check it out at hauntingseasonpod.com mixtape. 
And if you want to buy the game, we'll offer you 10% off, which is more than 0% off, so why not? It's a cool game. Right now, it's my favorite game. You should at least check it out. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street. We are going to go scene by scene through this entire film. Feel free to interrupt as much as you want. Make fun of this movie. You know, like, let's let's get into the thick of it. Before we start that, I just unlocked another childhood memory. I'm so sorry, but... yeah. My first scary movie that I remember was not Scream. I don't know if it counts as a movie, but the original It oh my gosh. was a TV miniseries, right? It was a two-parter. Or maybe like a four-parter. I don't yeah, remember. it's like four hours or something like but that. But I saw, I don't know why I watched the whole thing. I think I must have been like 13 or 14 and just like delving into this like, oh, is this something I'm interested in? And It messed me up. Yeah, that movie traumatized an entire generation of yeah. children. When the new It came out, I refused to see either of them. And then when it came out, I was having these very vivid dreams of Pennywise, like in our bedroom. At Like I even said to a friend, like Pennywise is like coming to me in my dreams. It's freaking me out. Well, and especially because the Tim Curry version of Pennywise looks like any clown you would ever yeah. meet. Yeah, it really, it really did a number on me. I don't remember all of it, but I remember very distinct points, and I mainly remember Pennywise. Anyway, so that is my first memory of a scary movie. All right, and you recently watched part one, so uh, whenever you get around to watching part two, we'll just have to do another episode like this, because this is so much fun. But uh, so A Nightmare on Elm Street, we're going to go through the movie here, and I'm just reading what's on the Wikipedia, and we're going to interrupt as much as we want. So in March 1981, Tina Gray awakens from a nightmare with... That was before I was even born. Oh my gosh, it was before I was born too. In March 1981, Tina Gray awakens from a nightmare wherein she is attacked by a disfigured man wearing a blade fixed glove in a boiler room her mother points out four mysterious slashes on her nightgown such a great such a great intro her mother's another number too (laughs) like you either need to stop having dreams like that or cut your nails so weird what a weird thing to say to your kid also classic 80s mother again that nightgown Mm-hmm. Well, it's ruined now. The following morning, Tina is consoled by her best friend, Nancy Thompson, and Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn Lance, which is enter Johnny Depp. Enter Johnny. Enter Johnny Depp for some nervous mumbling. The two stay at Tina's house when Tina's mother goes out of town, but their sleepover is interrupted by Tina's boyfriend, Rod Lane, who jumps, Rod. Yeah, Rod, who jumps out of the bushes pretending to attack. What a dick. What a dick. But also, it's a slasher movie. You gotta have one of those And they had just moments. gotten in an argument, and all of a sudden, he's like, here I am. Oh, and remember, on the uh, coffee table, they had the four pieces of popcorn. Just the like- four. I pointed that out to you in the theater. I was like, look at the perfectly like uh, displayed, the set. Uh, design of that movie was epic, I will say. Set design is epic, and when you look at the details, like, in on this coffee table between them, Johnny Depp's got this giant boombox, and he's pretending that he's, uh, what, at his aunt's house near his the airport? His cousin's house near the airport. Yeah, so and so he's a playing on. a tape, and it starts, you know, playing these, like, crazy sounds, and the girls turn up and have a laugh. And on the table, you've got this bowl of popcorn, four decoratively... Perfectly strewn pieces. (laughs) Perfectly strewn, and a cassette tape, and some other snacks. And then Johnny Depp comes around the other side and presents a bowl of chips to them in a perfectly choreographed television moment. Oh, he's eating an apple. Oh, yeah, he's eating an apple. It's so random. Who has chips available 
and chooses an apple. Salty over sweet every time. There could be chips two houses over and I'd choose it over an apple. I would choose apple chips over an apple. Yeah, I would choose any kind of chips over an apple. True. So uh, when Tina falls asleep, she dreams of being chased by the disfigured man. Rod is awoken by Tina's thrashing and sees her dragged and fatally slashed by an unseen force, forcing him to flee as Nancy and Glenn awake to find Tina bloodied and dead. He also holds his hand out towards her and goes, Tina! Tina! Yeah, great over-the-shoulder low shot there. So funny. Yeah. So funny. Meanwhile, she's on the ceiling bleeding. Well, and this is one of the ultimate scary moments in the movie because it starts out as like, oh, she's, you know, slashed open, okay. Oh, the boyfriend's freaking out, okay. And then she starts to get dragged into the corner by something invisible and then dragged up the wall and on the ceiling. Yeah. And in the same shot you've got Rod's shoulder. So as the set is rotating and however they manage to get her up onto the ceiling like that, he's got to stay still and his hair's still got to look like the gravity is pulling down. It's a really, really cool moment. I didn't think about it like that. (laughs) Yeah, when I first saw this, I was like jaw on the floor. Like I didn't know things like this could be done. I had never seen Roman Holiday where Fred Astaire dances on the ceiling. Um, That's not Roman Holiday? Roman Holiday is Audrey Hepburn and uh, Funny Face. No, it's not Funny Face either. Well, I hadn't ever seen the movie where Fred Astaire dances on the ceiling, yeah. and I hadn't seen Electric uh, Boogaloo uh, Breaking Two, uh, which is another one where they dance on the ceiling. It's total like they did the exact same scene. This this was mind blowing for me. Or Lionel Richie is dancing on the ceiling. Oh my God! <laughs> so many people dancing on the ceiling. It, um, it can be done. It can be done. Not in this house. The next day, Rod is arrested by Nancy's father, Don Thompson, despite his pleas of innocence. Okay, wait. Side note. I have two dads. One of my dad's names is Rod, and my other dad's name is Don. Oh. (laughs) I didn't even really... I thought his name was Robbie this whole time. Wow. Any Thompsons in the bloodline? Um, I grew up with a Thompson. Okay. I knew a Lee Thompson, and every time my brother and I played Wayne Gretzky 98 on Nintendo 64, and he would say, he stops him, I would say, Lee Thompson, and my brother would get really mad. At school, Nancy falls asleep in class and dreams that the man chases her to the boiler room where she is cornered. Oh, yeah, but this part I thought was so cool because she's she dreams, and then she sees Tina standing in the doorway in a, a plastic see-through body bag with blood everywhere. I did actually think that was, like, super cool, even though I'm not a fan of blood, even though I know I worked in makeup, I know that it's corn syrup and red dye um, or food coloring or whatever. There's a lot of blood in this movie. There's a lot of blood, but it's not, like, realistic, so for yeah. me, that's okay. But that part I thought was so cool, and then she just, like... These are the parts where I'm like, it pays to be an anxious human being, where I'm like, I would never just follow like a trail of blood, even in my dreams. And it's a trail. It's a red carpet display of of blood. Someone has mopped the floor with her body bag and you come out into the hallway and see her lying there in the body bag and the feet get lifted up by something invisible and gets continued to drag out of out of shot. And then she gets stopped by that hall monitor. Oh my god! Yeah, who, who, and she's like, "I don't need a hall pass." <laughs> what a rebel! And uh, she's—I don't know. I just, yeah, I would never. You know what is at the end of that trail of blood? Mm-hmm. It is not a pot of gold. It's the boiler room. 
oh, it's a corpse. It's a, a and and the giant boiler room is somewhere all these kids end up. And I wonder why, because at this point in the movie, they haven't heard the legend of Fred Krueger. Yeah. Are they in the boiler room because their dreams are being controlled? Yeah. I mean, the boiler room obviously is in their school, too. So it's like, it's like in the basement. You think it's like the basement of the school? Well, I mean, I would imagine like if this, I I can't remember where it takes place, but anywhere outside of California or most Western states have basements, Mm -hmm. even schools, and most schools have a boiler room. So... Yeah, this takes place in a fictional town in Ohio. Yeah, there you go. Also, you know, Fred Krueger was murdering children, so he was probably stalking that school. Maybe he took the kids down to the boiler room. Well, so it it was supposedly that he was in an old oil refinery, I thought, or or something like that, where where they tracked him down. Let's just rewrite it, because my version's better. Yeah, it's the basement of the school. It makes way more sense that it's in the school. He was originally written, Freddy Krueger was originally written as a pedophile, as well and then recently like well recently to when they were filming there had been uh, something in the news about a pedophile who was killing kids um, Mm. in a in a serial way and so he changed it so as not to cause any issues and connections didn't change it that well though because I mean it's alluded to Freddie was like I'm your boyfriend now and then I'm your boyfriend now Nancy he kept making those like disgusting lewd tongue actions. Oh, and you mi- even, didn't you miss the tongue coming out of the phone? I did miss the tongue coming out of oh, the phone, but man. I made, I, I either thought it in my head and meant to say it out loud or I said it out loud to you and I was like, he's obviously a pedophile. Also, normally only, I watch a lot of Law & Order SVU, normally only uh, pedophiles, you know, are murdering children or someone yeah. who has like an abnormal obsession with children and I think it's a, a blessing that sense. he made that decision because the fact that it's alluded to means that you can somehow deep down be like oh Freddie's kind of cool if it was explicit that he was like sexually abusing children I don't know if it would have blown up the way that it did I don't know if he would have been this incredible icon it was like coaching little league games I mean probably <laughs> I also find it very strange this whole idea that even though it's a character or whatever that people like idolize someone who murders someone yeah so cody and i were talking about that on the last episode and we we think it's because of the supernatural element and because of the the like the story not not Particularly with Freddy, he's kind of an anomaly. But the other ones are like Jason Voorhees, for example. You know, like he was he drowned in the lake because no one was paying attention. Yeah. Then he saw his mother killed, and he came back for revenge. You know, yeah. like there's a little bit of a heart story there. Victor Crowley um, got he was deformed and made fun of, and he got locked in a house that was burning down, and he's stuck in the moment that the house burned down. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all dependent on uh, what you believe is your own sense of morality, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because someone has a bad life, does that mean it's okay that they seek revenge? I do think that like the survivors should be idolized in the same way. Like I, yeah. I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis has raised to that level for with sure, Halloween for sure, um, and with uh, Linda Hamilton and, and Terminator. And and we do get a little bit of like you know um, Nancy becomes very very cool in the third movie as our survivor girl from the first. But she's not you know you don't find toys of her around. You don't see people dressing yeah. up like her for Halloween. All right, <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Um, so no, this is amazing. So then uh, Nancy 
then deliberately burns her arm on a pipe, and the burn startles her awake in class, and she notices a burn mark on her arm. I think what bothered me the most about Nancy's character and her character, mostly her character development, is that she doesn't, they don't make her, portray her as this, like, very smart girl in the beginning that's like, I can outwit anyone in anything, right? I think this is, like, where scary movies or horror movies have, like, elevated throughout the years, Mm -hmm. where the character development is more there. Like, all of a sudden, she's just, like, so smart. She's like, you know what? Well, wake me up while I'm in a dream. I'm going to burn my arm. Yeah, but it it was a discovery in the moment. It was like, you know, there's steam coming out of all of these pipes, and it was a a choice. She didn't know if it would work or not. I'm just saying, like... She gains her knowledge throughout, I think. But there's, there's... built into these old slashers the idea of like teenagers are stupid and parents are irresponsible uh well they're (laughs) irresponsible and unreliable so so then the teenagers need to like learn yeah but then there's all sorts of tropes like you know if 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 the teenagers are having sex they die if the teenagers do drugs they die yeah we learned that in scream yeah we, we learned that in catholic school um nancy goes to Rod at the police station, who tells her details about what happened to Tina along with his own recent nightmares. This makes Nancy believe that the man is responsible for Tina's death. At home, Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub and is nearly drowned. That was kind of cool, too. That was like, you know, when Mary yeah, Poppins think... goes down the, the bathtub okay. and goes into the... <laughs> First of all, when does Mary Poppins go down the bathtub? In the new one. In the oh, new one, oh, she goes okay, backwards okay. down the bathtub. Yes, you're right. Um, but let's not compare Freddy Krueger and Mary Poppins. All right, fine. I would say that's an iconic scene, and I think the most uh, like sexual scene out of the whole thing, uh, which I, you know, I can always live without that. There were posters. I remember seeing that image of the claw coming out yeah, of the soapy bathtub the between her legs. Yeah. That it because you, how how more vulnerable can you get? I guess yeah. you know going to the bathroom, Here, but being completely naked in a pool of water with your eyes closed, like falling asleep. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a good question for not just Nightmare on Elm Street, but all horror movies. Do they pass the Bechdel test? It is a measure of the representation of women in fiction. It asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. The requirement that the two women must be named is sometimes added. So this was, uh, it's a test that was, uh, Created by Alison Bechdel, who also wrote Fun Home, which is a amazing musical that everyone should definitely listen to and or see if it's ever on Broadway again. It, okay, so, so does it I, pass? Because no. they talk about Freddy Krueger a lot. Um, they always I, talk about... Nancy talks to her mom about her alcohol, but do they bring up the dad in that? Freddy's always... He's the main... He's yeah, the, the catalyst of the universe. for the conversation. So it's never a conversation between two women about women. And it usually is also not supposed to be like based around something sexual. Yeah, so you, you know what's wild is I, I just watched Slumber Party Massacre. Um, that is wild. Twice. And um, <laughs> for work. Okay. Uh, I was on the um, Final Girl Friday podcast. Um, and that movie actually passes. And it's that's written it. by a woman. Um, and I think that's why. And there, there are, she had, from what I learned on the show, she had a quota to meet with how many breasts she had to show throughout the movie. Not um, surprising. And it, it seems like... Like she went with the minimum, 
Um, but also the the characters talk about there are all the females are on a basketball team together and they do talk about stuff that isn't boys. That's amazing. I think that's a great question to start asking of every horror movie you rate. Or, yeah, and maybe you know not on TikTok, but like on your podcast. Like, does this pass the Bechdel test? Yeah. Because most don't, and most movies don't, and most, you know, films or works of fiction aren't, whether they're, you know, stage or book or whatever, aren't written from the female gaze. And this definitely is not written from the female gaze. No. You know, it's written from the male gaze. Hence. Well, and a lot of it is tied to uh, Wes Craven's personal life. Like, Fred Krueger is the name of some of a bully that beat him up in school. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if... It was like you, you beat up old little Wes, the loser no, Wes Craven. Just like and then, if you, I, I, you know, we all were mean to someone. You know, it's a, it's a spectrum, point, right? Yeah. At some point in our life, yeah. I said something horrible about a little girl named Jenny Hill once in in uh, no oh. junior high. I didn't mean to. Oh, you know, I know. I'm a generally very nice person, but could you imagine if Jenny Hill had become some like famous writer and turned you into a and turned mutated. that moment? It was one tiny moment and turned that moment into and used my my actual name. Could you imagine? And turned you into a horrible murderer yeah, of children a and possibly a pedophile. <laughs> that is the ultimate revenge. It's the ultimate revenge for artists. That's the ultimate revenge. Uh, my bully, I had two bullies. One's name was Ryan and the other was Andrea and I would totally turn them into awful human beings oh, because yeah. they were horrible to me. See, I have the opposite as a writer. Um, I like to take the people I truly, truly like and kill them off in a story. Are you going to kill me off? I don't know. If you kill me off, I'm going to be very upset. All right. Do you want to be a survivor girl? Always. All right. Fine. But can I kill all your friends? I'm going to kill Jane. Can I kill Jane? I'm going to say no out of loyalty. No, but I'm going to do it anyway. So Nancy then depends. This is where stuff starts getting real campy. Nancy then depends on caffeine to stay awake and invites Glenn to watch over as she sleeps. Okay, but wait, but wait. I have like, I have a thing about that. So I thought that those pills were fake, like just like a set, like a, you know. The caffeine design. pills? Yes. Or, or They're real pills. Those stay awake pills are real pills. They're like uh, fast acting, stay awake now. But they're real. And I saw, maybe they're not, but I saw them on TikTok. And this girl was like, I have been awake for three days now because I took these pills because I'm like, you know, in oh a doctorate God. program or like studying for her bar or whatever. And I was like watching this TikTok and I was like, oh my God, those are the pills from Nightmare on Elm Street. They are real. But how about when she pulls? When she pulls the extra coffee maker, I know her mom out. takes all. He, she takes four coffee cups off of the top of the thing and, and takes the away the pot. coffee carafe, and then she pulls out a new machine that's already brewing coffee yeah. and starts <laughs> drinking it right away. But she like obviously the mugs are also empty, which is the worst thing in any movie for me is when cups are empty. And then Glenn, fucking Glenn, fucking Glenn, Glenn, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Come into my house. Watch me sleep. That's all I ask of you. Just come into my house and watch That's me sleep. That's your only job. And he can't fucking do it. Can't do it. She falls asleep for all of 30 seconds and he's gone. He's just totally out. And he was 100% awake when he came over. He wasn't even oh, dozing. Yeah. 
Nope, was it wasn't like he got woken up. I mean, he's going to plan to watch football the rest of the night and get yeah. sucked into his bed. What a dick. So Nancy then depends on coffee. In her dream, Nancy sees the man prepare to kill Rod in his cell, but then he turns his attention towards her. And this is when Freddy Krueger walks through the bars of the jail cell. So now, now we know Freddy can walk through walls. And what we missed earlier, I think... Unless it's coming up, but I think no, it's earlier at the house. His arms extend like to the full length of the. Um, oh yeah, so goofy. Oh, it's amazing. He's got like, these like slinky arms, and then he goes, "Hey Nancy, check this out!" And he cuts off two of his fingers, and the green slime so comes gross. out. So gross. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm just like, why? When the worms are in his chest, get out of here. Oh yeah, because he's playing with people's dreams. You know, like he can do whatever he wants. Out of my dreams, Krug. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nancy runs away and wakes up when her alarm clock goes off. The man kills Rod by wrapping bed sheets around his neck like a noose. Yeah, can we talk about how phallic that was? Making it look like a suicide. Uh, Yeah, it was kind of phallic. It was very phallic. Again. With the, like, Great use of stop motion animation. That kid probably had to lay there for a very long was time. Was it stop motion or was it just someone like pushing like a like a? I mean, maybe there was a thread or something. Yeah, something know. like that. Stop motion. Come on. I don't know. I thought that, it was stop like, motion. That would t- have taken like five months to create that into a stop I motion. I don't know. At Rod's funeral, Nancy's parents become worried when she describes her dreams. Her mother, Marge, didn't know that. Marge. Marge. Her mother, Marge. Takes her to a sleep disorder clinic. What? Like, so weird. When they're getting in that car, she's like, I'm going to fix her. Where they have these cameras that they can control with their computers and zoom in and zoom out and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Where, in a dream, Nancy grabs the man's fedora with the name Fred Krueger written on it and pulls it from the dream into reality. I mean, my name is not written on anything I own. And that's your biggest mistake. I mean, maybe I think I own a solid 30 to 40 hats and my name is not written on any of them. And if someone pulled it out of your dream into their reality and you said, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me my hat back, they'd be like, where's your name? Solid point. Upon barricading the house, Marge reveals to Nancy. Yeah, they put bars on all the doors it's and windows. It's just like, it's so intense. It, it, just, it, it really escalates very quickly. It does. Upon barricading the house, Marge reveals to Nancy that Kruger was an insane child murderer, possibly pedophile, who was released on a technicality and then burned alive by parents living on the street seeking vigilante Not- justice. What? Vigilante. I know, but you started to talk and I got scared. Not just parents. <laughs> Like, the parents of the kids. The townspeople. Yeah, it's like the parents of all the kids that were killed. Like, he's seeking revenge, right? Yes, and that is one of the major themes of this movie is the children paying for the sins of the parents. Why doesn't he just kill the parents? I know he's a child murderer, but, like, let's get to the point here. Because parents don't have dreams. (laughs) No. Do they not? I guess not. Don't poke holes in this. There's holes all over this, Freddy. Uh, Nancy realizes that Kruger, now a vengeful ghost, is killing her and her friends out of revenge and to satiate his psychopathic needs. Nancy tries to call Glenn to warn him, but his father prevents her from speaking to him. Total jerk. Glenn falls asleep and is killed by Kruger. I can't believe that's the line. This is is the moment that you miss. This is the moment where he's sucked into the bed. Mm -hmm. And then... Gallons of blood shoot onto the ceiling. Nancy puts Marge to sleep and asks Don, who is across the street investigating Glenn's death, to break into the house in 20 minutes. She gives him this timeline. Break break in in 20 minutes and 20 wake minutes. me up because I'm going to pull the t- killer out of my sleep. And then he's like, you know what? 
instead of me coming to my daughter's rescue, whether she is telling the truth or mentally unstable, I'm just going to have my lieutenant. Yeah, I'm going to send doofus McOfficer the house over. instead of doing my due diligence as a father. Believe your daughters. Nancy rigs booby traps around the house and grabs Kruger out of the dream and into the real world. The booby traps affect Kruger enough that Nancy can light him on fire and lock him in the basement. That was a long time for someone to be on fire. That was a really impressive scene. I know. Like, is he alive? Is he dead? What's the What's the deal here, Wes? Like, give us the, like, 411, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. So, like, I, I know a dream creature can't die from fire, but a dream creature in reality? But he's already dead, so he and can't And he was die. already burned alive. It's like the ultimate middle finger to this guy. Well, sure. I think maybe the whole point was just to, like, scare him a little. Sure. Yeah. Get scared, Freddy. Nancy rushes to the door for help. The police arrive to find that Kruger has escaped from the basement. Nancy and Don go upstairs to find a burning Kruger smothering Marge in her bedroom. <laughs> That's Sorry. right. He just like jumps on top of her. Yeah. He's like, I'm on fire. Now so And everyone you. just watches and is like, this isn't really happening. After Don puts out the fire, Kruger and Marge vanish into the bed. Pretty cool moment. Oh, and this also reminded me of that early, early moment where uh, Kruger's face is coming out of the, the wall, wall and then she knocks on it. Yeah. That was cool. When Don leaves the room, Kruger rises from the bed behind Nancy. Nancy realizes that Kruger is powered by his victim's fear and she calmly turns her back to him. I mean, that's also like a callback to like Pennywise, right? Like he feeds on fear. So yeah, but do it, all it, these demons feed on fear? I guess maybe we'll see. I don't know what was written. What, for, what came first? It, the Pennywise when, when, when or was the it Freddy? written? I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, no, but it's a common trope that we see in, yeah. in all of these films of like your, your fear drives these creatures. And if you can just calm your fear and, and focus and be pure. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's the callback to like what we fear most in this world is fear itself, right? And like I can speak to that fact as being scared of... Although being scared and fearing something, I think, is very different. But, like, you know, if you face it, I don't know. I'm if you gonna... face it or if you can turn your back to it. Yeah. That's the thing. So Kruger evaporates when he attempts to lunge at her. Nancy steps outside into a bright and foggy morning where all of her friends and her mother are still alive. Nancy gets into Glenn's convertible to go to school, and then the top suddenly comes down and locks them in as the car drives uncontrollably down the street. Three girls in white dresses play jump rope like we saw at the beginning of the film and are heard chanting Kruger's nursery rhyme as Marge is grabbed by Kruger through the front door window. And not to mention, the car has the stripes of Freddy Krueger on top. All right, so here are some major questions about this movie. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you about the movie? It was more campy than I expected it to be. I had some image in my head that it was very grotesque. Yeah, and I've been finding that with a lot of a lot of these older films is uh, the the legend of the film was much scarier than the film itself. Yeah. Like when I watch Candyman, that legitimately is a scary film and it's an incredible story. Uh, and and it's it's deeply frightening to me, but it wasn't at the level that like eighth grade or fifth grade me on the playground hearing the legend, you know, it wasn't that. It yeah. didn't ruin me as a human. I have yet to see a scary movie that would ruin me 
as a person and like I think that's why I like them so much is because they it, it helps you face your fears a little bit. Let's not go that far. No, um, that's for me. For you. I also just realized I unlocked like a childhood trauma memory too where I was like Freddy Krueger was the first thing that ever scared me. I didn't even realize that till I sat down to talk with you and like said it out loud that that was like the first yeah. Like movie I remember never seeing but being terrified of. Was there anything in particular that you liked about Nightmare on Elm Street? I mean, I loved the fashion. Yeah. Yes. Teen, was it Tina? Tina's the, the, or Nancy? Nancy is our survivor girl. So Tina. Tina's night, night, get nightgown, please. I would die for it. Right? And Tina's, her sheets, too. Tina's hairstyle, bring it on. Mm-hmm. I want it. Yeah. The leather jacket with shirtless underneath, chef's kiss. Yeah. And Johnny Depp's tight khakis. I mean, <laughs> he was okay. I liked his crop top, though. What was your favorite character? It's Robbie. That sounds right. It's Robbie. I liked him. Terrible actor, but um, <laughs> I just thought that that whole character was so ridiculous. Um, I was into it. Also, the mom. Right? So ridiculous. I go back and forth between she's, the mom and Freddie himself. The whole time, she's like, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I'm going to drink my gin and pretend I don't, even though I have his glove in the furnace. Fuck <laughs> off. Like, so dumb. Yeah, I, I mean, Wes Craven must have given her the direction of, like, end or punctuate every scene with the liquor bottle. Yeah, or just be as, like, ridiculous as possible. Like, non... Again, it was the 80s, so as non-parental as you possibly could be. Yeah. While also trying to be parental. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's wild is that watching that film on my own didn't ever think twice about the liquor bottle. Watching it in an audience of people, it became hilarious, like, after the third time. Yeah, Yeah. It's super funny, and then... Their moment of like fighting, oh, like she's like, get liquored up, mom. That's also pretty funny. <laughs> the dad's also ridiculous. I think every character is is a little over the top, highly ridiculous. Yeah, there's a lot of camp, and and Wes Craven's kind of famous for that too. Yeah, I mean, I think he really honed it in for the Scream series, right? Because he did Scream. Yeah, I'm not dumb. Okay, yeah, he really like honed it in because I remember when I saw Scream, thinking this is funny. So, fun fact, Wes Craven, uh, the first studio that he pitched this to that was interested was Disney. And they wanted him to uh, tone it down so it would be appropriate for teens. And uh, he said no. And then studio after studio uh, shut him down until he found New Line Cinema, I believe what it was. And um, they, they were this, like totally tiny they hadn't done hardly anything yet brand new they mm-hmm. lost funding partially through the film and couldn't pay people's paychecks wow. uh and they were known for a really long time as the house that freddie built it well i mean lesson in like sticking it out right yeah yeah for for wes craven specifically because yeah. like he had his dream and uh and look at him now and look at him now king of horror Okay, what kill was your favorite? Well, I left the theater for Glenn's because I was afraid it was going to be too gross, and then I found out you didn't even see anything. I think I liked the best. Maybe it wasn't a kill, but I liked the like dream ending, whatever that was, when he like grabbed the mom through the door. Mm. It was like so ridiculous. But I would have to say Tina. 
because he dragged her like up on the ceiling and then there was all this like fake corn syrup everywhere. Yeah, that was some serious like exorcist. That's why I thought that Glenn, I mean, I I know that you you filled me in on what happened afterwards, but like that's why I thought Glenn's was going to be so much more because it's Johnny Depp and everyone played it out to being like, oh, this is iconic first role and like. Yeah, it's so funny. Really the only iconic thing was that crop top. That crop top and the way he ate a cheeseburger and drank from his soda. Oh, yeah, you're really into that. Yeah, I don't know. There was just something, like, really, like, nuanced about how he drank from a soda straw. I really have to, like, (laughs) eat a cheeseburger. I mean, same. When I get nervous, I have to eat a cheeseburger, so. And that was the most anxiety I had during the entire film was him balancing that bag of (laughs) food on the Venice Canal. (laughs) Like, the curved uh, railing of the bridge. I actually wanted to bring up Glenn's kill because you missed it, and I thought it was just such a funny moment because he went to the bathroom knowing a kill was coming up and he came back and he said what happened and he said he got sucked in the bed with his tv and his headphones and then just like thousands of gallons of blood filled the ceiling and you're like wait you didn't get to see anything yeah well also it can't be <laughs> thousands of gallons because the human body doesn't hold no it was gallons. thousands of gallons like you know in the shining when the doors open up yeah. and just thousands of gallons that's what happened it shoots out of the bed onto the ceiling like a like a giant fire hose but wider, and then it just continues to pool on the ceiling. Gross. Yeah. I'm glad I missed it. But it's a lot of blood. Yeah, I don't, I'm not into that, like, gore and blood. All right, I have uh, two more questions here before we get into going through the movie. Anything you didn't like about the movie? I mean, I thought that, that I understand that the, the ending is supposed to mean something, but I definitely think that it was uh, left something to be desired, right? Like... It was silly and dumb, and, like, we didn't really get an answer to how it ended. Maybe we do in the second and third one, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's in a, like, they, they're like, oh, Freddy's gone, and then she gets in the... And all her friends are back, and yeah. everyone's alive, everyone's but then alive Freddy's happy, the car but then Freddy's the car, but then Freddy also grabs the mom from inside, but then it's also, like, how did it end? I'm just not into, like, that kind of an ending. I like a, like, I like a movie to be wrapped up in a little bow and presented to me... And that's it. Oh, no, but unless it's, it's a slasher killer. you got to leave it open for the I sequel. Mean, sure, but unless it's something I can actually like, think about. Like, there was no, like, questioning anything. Like, what really happened? Because it's so silly and campy, you know? Or, so. like, when did she fall asleep again? You know, at oh. what point in the movie does it become the dream and not the reality? Because mm-hmm. does she wake up? Like, is Glenn's kill actually reality? Or is that in the dream? Is it all a dream? Because the blood is pooling on the ceiling. And then we go across the street and she's got this elaborate booby trap set, which is, and she draws him out of the dream. But does she actually draw him out of the dream? Yeah, because like how, I don't know, I mean, it's a movie, but like how silly is that? Like she can pull his hat out, her hair turns gray and like. That's such a great reveal when she pulls the hat out because it's, you as an audience member, you don't expect her to just like, ta-da. My hair is gray and I have a fedora. (laughs) It's. I mean, it's also silly. I don't really think there was like a least favorite moment, but I would have to say that like an ending like that, I'm always kind of like. Ugh. All right. Here's the big question: Would you watch another Nightmare on Elm Street movie? I'd probably watch the third one because you love it so much. It's the but best of the franchise by far. I would say probably not the second one, just because of like what you've told me about it and like it yeah. ruined that guy's life and like. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do a whole episode on that um, yeah. with a couple specific people because I think I think that film, 
gets made fun of a lot, but we're not talking really about the truth of it yeah. all that much. It just doesn't seem... I mean, it doesn't seem like a franchise I'm interested in. You know, Wes Craven only did one other Freddy Krueger movie. Did the third one? Uh, no, the, I think it's the fifth one, Freddy. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Is that the one that was like, this is now the end, and then there was like seven movies after it? Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's Freddy's Dead, and there, there's yeah. Freddy versus Jason. There apparently was a TV show I didn't know until reading the Wikipedia. Don't trust everything you read on Wikipedia. Oh, I, well, I'm going to go hunting for that TV show. Memento Mori is the premier oddities and curiosities shop located in Los Angeles. Visit us at 1507 Wilcox Avenue at Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Hollywood, Fridays through Sundays, 11 to 6 p.m. Or shop online at www.mementomori-la.com. Courtney, every week we ask our audience one big question, and this week it's what kind of nightmares do you have? So I'm asking you first, when you have nightmares, what are they about? What's what's one that really stands out, you know? Well, I mean, I've had a reoccurring nightmare since I was probably like 10 to 15. I don't remember when it started, but it's all about the original movie, The Time Machine. You still have this dream? I remember it, so I don't okay. know if... I remember it because I've had it recently and I wake up, but it was a reoccurring f- dream. So I know I what it is, but, uh, you know, let's so, get into it. In the movie The Time Machine, he travels forward in time to this very, like, um, way in the future, and it's an, an Aryan race has taken over the world, basically. Ew. Yeah, gross. And everyone's blonde hair and blue-eyed. and But underground, these people have been living, and they've turned into these almost... A troll-like humans with blue skin, white hair, yellow eyes, and fangs. Ugh. So in my dream, I was on a island that was all dirt, and it was almost like shaped like a three-layer cake, mm. and it was circular, and there is <laughs> caves all around the outside, and I am being chased by these blue-skinned creatures, and they finally catch me. And they start to eat me from the feet up. And that's the other thing. So they're they're cannibals in the movie. Oh, you're not going to like Freddy Krueger 3. <laughs> yeah. Well, they start to eat me from the feet up. And when they hit my stomach, I wake up every time. And, you know, I had told a few different people about this dream at some point, And they're like, oh, well, that's because once it hits your core, there's like, you know, your body naturally wants to wake itself up because of that. Hmm. So that's like, uh, I've had that dream Minimum five times a minute. You life. get eaten every time? Every time. Wow. It never changes. It's always the same. One of the ones that stands out for me that I always remember when I get asked this question, <laughs> it's so dumb, but it was so scary. Yeah. It was an Olympic-sized swimming pool filled with great white sharks, and there were a series of pickup trucks that I had to personally put on my back and swim across the pool what? to get I don't to the even other know about side. This. <laughs> yeah. this is a dream I've never heard and of. And it was a long dream. Yeah. And it was a difficult dream. And I woke up. It's a lot of more scared, exertion. exertion. More scared than I've ever been of anything in my entire life. And it makes zero sense. So this is the part of the show where I'm always looking for audience participation. And so I mentioned I posted uh, the same question on Hi Ho this week. And here's what you all had to say. What's up, man? Um, speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street, it was actually filmed in my hometown, Gary, Indiana, because it already looks, you know, very dilapidated there. It looks kind of haunted. People call it Scary Gary, Gary, Indiana. Um, 
But uh, nightmares, nightmares. I, I wanted to chime in because actually, when I was a kid, it's really weird. I had a lot of nightmares as a kid to the point in which I was kind of numb to it. Uh, stuff that I didn't fully understand until I reflected on it when I was older. I don't know if that's weird, but I remember dreams from when I was very young. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah. Main thing was um, white supremacists. That was like a big deal. My dad was an activist, see? So uh, I was very aware of like the Pan-African condition and uh, the boogeyman, which is Ku Klux Klan members, neo-Nazis and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'd have. Not, I remember one specifically where um, I was in my backyard and it was getting dark. And I don't know if you know the, the horror movie Mars Attacks. That's probably another thing. I was like raised on horror movies, but Mars Attacks, fucking cows on fire. Following it was uh, Klansmen, and they raided my backyard, and I was running for dear life. You know, in dreams you can't run. That doesn't work. I was running in place until I died, and then woke up. Yeah, but that's the thing you know now. I wish I had more time. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Peace. Hey, what's going on, Josh? One of the nightmares that I had growing up that I totally remember is I would be trapped inside of this room, kind of fire all around me, and there'd just be this weird little thing just kind of caped. And then it would cut to me being chased by an alligator. What the hell is that? And then I would, something that also happened in my dreams when I'd have nightmares, I'd be able to say, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I would just wake up. So weird. But yo, thank you for jogging my memory on that, Josh. Take care. Hey, listener, if you want to put your voice on the show, download the HiHo app for free. There's no ads, no hidden fees. It's just an app that launched recently that I think is pretty cool and allows us to have conversations through video messaging about the stuff we're both interested in. I'm posting once a week and using the replies in the show. I'd love to hear from you, and if you don't want to do a video, just block your face or send some audio while I look at the ceiling of your house or a black void or whatever. That's it for today's show. Stay tuned after the credits for how you can get more involved in Haunting Season. Haunting Season is written and created by Joshua Sterling Bragg and is a joint production of Matt Gielan and Believe Limited. Thank you to our very special guest, wife of the show, Courtney Barber. This episode was executive produced by Matt Gielan, Ryan Gielan, and Patrick James Lynch with creative support from Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, Mel Forrest, and my wife, Courtney Barber. Hunting Seasons editor is Colby Crow, and she uses music made for the show by North Innsbruck. Greg Holdsman is the producer of the show. You can find different content from Haunting Season on all of our platforms. YouTube has scary stories. Instagram has the spooky photos and updates. TikTok has movie reviews, urban legends, haunts, and lore. And we're now on an app called Hi-Ho, where you can contribute to the podcast with your voice and your video to hop into the conversation yourself and get personal replies from Josh through video as well have something to send josh well we've got a p.o box now send anything cursed weird horror related or just a nice note to brighten his day p.o box 9681 glendale california 91226 thanks for listening friends and remember we're most likely to survive if we stick together i'll see you next time